he came up one time, walked into the room and said, you know, a lot of things are valuable to us. Most important is integrity and honesty. And I want to single out one person today who has violated that code. And that's William Bennett. Welcome to episode 22 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. I'm Brian Egan from the class of 86. We just heard from Bill Bennett from the class of 61. He's going to join us in just a moment to talk about his memories of the legendary Gonzaga headmaster, Father Anthony McHale. Father McHale passed away at the age of 85 back in 2006. But 50 years prior, that young Jesuit was making quite a name for himself as the new headmaster of Gonzaga. After his passing, Glenn Slocum of the class of 59 shared this remembrance of Father McHale. I had the privilege of being a freshman in 1955, the same year that Father McHale began his first assignment as a Jesuit priest after ordination as headmaster of Gonzaga. I was undecided on which high school to attend, so my father took me to meet the new headmaster. Our lengthy discussion with Father McHale and the merits of attending Gonzaga led my father and me to decide Gonzaga was the choice. In my four years there, I was to learn of Father McHale's blend of skills. He was rigorous and disciplined. One learned early that his somewhat diffident manner was not to be mistaken for softness. He was to remain at Gonzaga for 12 years, and I do not know how many hundreds of young men were influenced by his insights and guidance. But even now, 50 years later, Father McHale remains in my mind as one of the major influences in my life. That from Glenn Slocum from the class of 59. When I visited with Michael Dolan and Paul Warren, members of the class of 68, Michael and Paul recalled Father McHale. McHale was a more of a presence than an instructor, genial, but removed and engaged at the same time. Paul knew him better than I did because Paul was more often in danger of being thrown out of school than I was. Well, I will tell you how often I was in the, in the headmaster's office. There was a map there of all the Jesuit high schools and colleges. And I was in there so much that at the end of that year, I could recite every one of them. But McHale why I, I am so fond of him is he, like Father McKenna, who always said, there's God in everyone. Mikhail saw that in me because despite all the trouble I was getting into academic and deportment wise, he saw that in me and counseled me numerous times and kept me in the school. And I will forever be grateful to him. Father Anthony McHale's name would surface in a 1985 article written by the Washington Post's Elsa Walsh. She did a three-part series on Gonzaga back in June of 1985. And in one of the paragraphs, she noted how Father McHale was the reason that Bill Bennett from the class of 61 attended Williams College. And here to talk a little bit more about the man that was Father Anthony McHale is that same Bill Bennett from the class of 61. Welcome. How are you, sir? Fine, fine, fine. Thanks, Brian. Bill, if you can, let's go back into the mind of being that high school student at Gonzaga. What was Father McHale like as a man? He was strict, reserved, cool. And I realized that the other day he was Alexa in the 60s. There was a speaker, a loudspeaker in our room, homeroom, which clicked on and off. And we would listen for the click, which meant he was listening to us when we were left unattended. Sometimes we caught it. Sometimes we didn't. Once we didn't catch it and we were bustling around. I can't remember who was doing what, but Mikhail rode in there with the rosaries, you know, hanging and came out with a list of names who were on their way to 
summary jug. Summary jug. I love that. That's a phrase I invented. But summary jug meant no appeal. That wasn't the scariest one. The scariest one, and it really was scary, was, uh, and I want to get this story out here so I don't have to deal with it with a psychiatrist. He came up one time, walked into the room and said, you know, a lot of things are valuable to us. Most important is integrity and honesty. And I want to single out one person today who has violated that code. And that's William Bennett. And I just, it was one of those things where your head starts vibrating, you know, you're just shaking. It was just so terrifying. What's he talking about? And he produced my math exam, calculus exam, in which I had a number of the answers right, but had not shown the work from which he concluded that I had cheated. Not an unreasonable conclusion, except it wasn't true. After long arguments, many days, many conversations, I persuaded him on the basis of other tests, other exams, and other patterns that what I did was oddly enough in preparation for a, an exam in calculus, I knew it would be 50 problems taken from 50 problems. I memorized the answers to all 50 and then tried to work my way to them. Not cheating, just trying to give yourself a head start, but certainly not cheating. Did Father McHale buy what you were selling? He finally accepted that because the stakes were, as he told me, before I was exonerated, no recommendations, out of school, expulsion, the nether worlds of St. John's or Carroll or DeMatha or someplace, <laughs> maybe worse. Good counsel. Anyway, uh, how many people have I insulted now? Didn't mean that, guys. Um, but anyway. That was the worst, but uh, he made a firm impression. So at what point does Mikhail finally give in? I mean, how many days are we talking here? A couple of weeks. Since the allegation was cheating, did you have any expert witnesses, fellow students who could attest they didn't help you? Yeah, as I remember, Dick Manasseri did, said he did the same thing. Utilizing the memorization strategy. A couple of us had talked about that that was a good way to go. I memorized the answer, try to work toward it. Did you present any physical evidence in your defense? Luckily, I had saved some other exams showing, you know, the same thing. That was my pattern. Uh, and in some, I got, you know, the work was there. Others, the work wasn't. And he accepted it. How hard was that to go through? Because you know you didn't cheat. It was a grueling two weeks, two, two of the toughest weeks of my life, I'll tell you. Actually, uh, comparable to anything uh, I had to withstand in the other Washington, which came later. <laughs> Bill, I find it wild that those were the most intense two weeks. It reminds me, in Ash Hawkins' 1994 documentary about Gonzaga, they show a clip of you giving the Coleman Address, and you begin it in a very funny way, in, in somewhat of a panic. And you even said that you had just spoken to like 10,000 Republicans at some event, and you were more stressed about giving the Coleman Address than speaking to politicians. What is it about I Street and Gonzaga that creates that wanting to do well in front of our classmates and friends? Well, that's where your roots are. That's where everybody knows your secrets. When you talk to 10,000 Republicans, you don't begin by saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's confessional. And, you know, when you go back home, a lot of people don't go back home. <laughs> they don't want to go back home. They want to get away from home. And so there was a certain ambivalence there. 
It's now been 60 years since you graduated, almost 30 years since you gave that Coleman address. Do you still have the same feelings about Gonzaga after all this time? I had a wonderful time at Gonzaga. It was great. It was great for me. It was the hardest academic program I ever endured. And I did, you know, college at Williams, a PhD at philosophy at Texas and Harvard Law School. It was the hardest intellectual regimen, the most demanding. And if you played football, as I did, you know, you got home at eight at night on two buses, three hours of homework to bed and early up again the next morning. It was a, it was a tough regimen, but it was great, great training, great training. You mentioned Williams. Let's get back to Father McHale. Now, after you survive the calculus test controversy, does Bill Bennett become one of Father McHale's favorite students? Uh, he took a shine to me because I took a shine to things he liked, literature and philosophy. He would ask me about my reading lists, and he would give me reading lists. And I had certain, shall we say, I, I don't want to say that what I was saying or doing was worthy of anathema sit, you know, let, let him be a curse and thrown out of the church. But I was close to heresy on a few things. And I would push on it and push on it. And he'd push back and I'd push on it. And then when it came time, as it did for us to go see him about college, I said, where am I going, Father? Uh, Georgetown, Holy Cross, Boston College, which seemed like the obvious and usual choice of someone in my position. And he said, uh, nope, nope. Right now you are in opposition to us. I want to send you somewhere where you will learn to be in opposition to them. I didn't even know what he was talking about. He said, I want you to go to some heathen godless <laughs> place <laughs> and you can revel in it for a while. I'm caricaturing this conversation, but then um, you will turn on it and you will come back. We're playing you. I'll never forget. We're playing you for that long run. So he said, I want you to go to Williams or Harvard or Yale or someplace like that. So I did. And boy, I thought I'd hit the jackpot. It was godless, all right. And it was heathen, all right. And it was a hell of a lot of fun for a couple of years till I sorted things out. But uh, anyway, I see his point now, much, much later. Uh, I saw it a little earlier as well. At the time that the Elsa Walsh article came out in 1985, you were the Secretary of Education. And you said in the article, quote, it is important to know what is noble and what is base. It is important to know what deserves to be defended and what deserves to be loved. And in this speech, you were calling for public schools to begin teaching traditional values like fairness and integrity. And you said that you believe there was a broader consensual morality, a shared system of ideas and a sense of community that all can and should have despite their religious beliefs. When I saw that quote and I heard your story about Father McHale insisting on integrity, I feel like his influence on you and the way you thought impacted your job as Secretary of Education. Well, Brian, life's a long journey, and um, smart guys like Mikhail know that, and they try to plant a seed early, put something in your head, put something in your heart, put something in your soul, and hope it takes root. And I have to say, I think it probably did. If there is a, a any noble architecture to this soul, if there is any at all, I think it's more due to Gonzaga than any place else. That just has to be said. Plus, you know, just lots of lots of great memories, lots of hilarity, lots of wonderful stuff uh, that that went on. Did you ever have a role in any of the plays? 
I did. I didn't do much. I was the bear in the winner's tale. They needed somebody to get the bear suit. Had no lines. I just came on and came off as a bear. Now, some of those normal fun things that you would have done at Gonzaga included playing football, and you were a member of the 1959 city title team, right? I was. I wasn't much of a part of it, though. I yielded to much better players like uh, Jay Dugan, John Morris, uh, Bertie Dempsey, and others. But uh, I was on that team, yes, sir. We beat Eastern 7-6. Now, even though you weren't a star on the team, you were a champion. How do you feel about all the titles and all the banners that are up on I Street now? Because the last 20, 25 years have just been incredible. First of all, the level of sports an athletic competition at Gonzaga now is you know, miles beyond what it was when we were there. Starting quarterback over, over a Heisman Trophy candidate, Caleb Williams. Give me a break. True freshman from Gonzaga. But I mean, tremendous teams in basketball and, and football and, you know, ranked national standings. It's quite extraordinary. And when you guys were there, there were houses across the street from the school, not a football field with a parking lot underneath. Took the bus out of, out of the school onto North Capitol Street. Joe Kozik driving it, taking us to the Ellipse where we'd practice. Uh, get yelled at in front of all the tourists looking at the Washington Monument. Get back in the bus, come back. Now Buchanan Field. Last time I was there, I was there for a uh, lacrosse game. But I think the critical decision in the life of Gonzaga in the last 50, 60 years was the decision to stay in the city, Brian. And there was a lot of pressure, at least some, from the suburbs and suburban parents of Virginia and Maryland to move the school out. You know, there was a, always a sense of foreboding that things might explode, but they didn't while I was there. But then, you know, there were, there were riots in D.C. That's, I think, when it peaked. And I remember the school said, or the president of the high school said, the school is part of the church and the church stays in the city with the people. Bill, one of the stories you shared earlier was this sort of uh, argument, this ongoing uh, legal case, so to speak, that you made back and forth with Father McHale over the misunderstanding on the calculus. Do you feel like the oratorical skills and the rhetoric skills and maybe even the debating skills that were sort of honed at Gonzaga led to your success as well as Pat Buchanan's success? Because that was just part of the curriculum that was being emphasized during that time at Gonzaga. That's a pretty fancy way to put it. You mean the sophistry we were taught by the Jesuits? Is that what you meant? I have to admit it served me well, too. <laughs> Jesuits are known for their ability to argue. Uh, that's, you know, they were the original Pope's Marines. They're set up to uh, argue against uh, the infidels, the, those who were challenging uh, the authority of the church. And the Jesuits have kept that tradition of argument. Oh, I think it's a, it's a big part of it. Uh, Buchanan and I have had some uh, wonderful discussions and debates, both privately and publicly, and many others, and many others as well. Yeah, no, it's a big part of it. And and, and it's a lost art. People don't do that uh, debate and oratory and rhetoric, which, uh, you know, was part of the, you know, original Ratio Studiorum. There I go throwing my Latin around. At five years of Latin and three years of Gonzaga. So we've talked a lot about the influence of Father McHale, but who are some of the other teachers, Bill, that made an impact on you while you were on I Street? Mr. Schemmel, George Schemmel, uh, who was a scholastic. Uh, <laughs> that was a test. We were, he was a physics teacher, Brian. This might have given rise to the McHale thing about when he said I wasn't on you know, his side or the side of the church that time. At senior physics class, Schemmel was talking about gravity, and he had a little steel ball. And he kept flipping it up in the air, saying, we'll come down, we'll come down. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you bet $1,000, we'll come down. Yes, well, you bet $100,000, we'll come down. Well, you bet 
A million dollars will come down. Yes, yes, yes. Will anyone here bet their immortal soul it will come down? And I said, yeah, I will. This could have given rise to the fact that Bennett's a problem here. We need to ship him off somewhere else. He threw that ball up, and I swear to God, it hung up there. I, it, it didn't, but it sure felt like it did. I was wondering if he had wires up there or something. But Schemmel was a great teacher. I didn't think it was our place to evaluate teachers. We were there to listen to them and learn from them. And there were some different types, odd ducks, you know, but they were all there to do something for us. And by God, most of them did. And when you think of the load that we were carrying, the academic load, and I, I came a year late. I was at the Priory, now the Abbey, I guess. And when I got in, you know, Abbey had this great reputation. I was so far behind the sophomore class and the, uh, and the honors class. I had to really work to catch up, really work to catch up. It was a wonderful program. When I got to Williams, you know, this now they say it's the most selective college in the country. It was nothing compared to Gonzaga. Harvard Law School, easier than Gonzaga. Um, it's good to have those demands made on you when you are young and strong and can take it uh, and keep to that kind of schedule, you know, sets you up for later. Speaking of later, I remember when I was in high school, you were appointed Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan. How much of what was put into your mind foundationally by the Jesuits do you feel like some of those same strategies and underlying principles you were then trying to push back out as Secretary of Education into the public school system? I don't know how much I tried to push back out, but apparently I did push out a lot out. I was once speaking at the University of Judaism in Los Angeles, big crowd. And after my talk, I went to Q&A and the guy said, God knows those nuns and priests really got to you, didn't they? I said, did it show? Did it show that much, really? They all applauded. Yes, it did. So, you know, it comes through. It comes through. I remember I was giving a speech in Washington as secretary, and they wanted to pin me in this corner as the uh, kind of religious secretary of education. And I gave a speech in which I said, uh, I used the phrase, flesh of the flesh and blood of the blood. And the Washington Post just went nuts and said, there it is. He's reciting the, the mass, the consecration of the host. I said, that's not what the consecration of the host is. It's, this is my body and this is my blood. Flesh of the flesh and blood of the blood is a line from Lincoln. Anyway, I had to correct them, but they were always ready to jump on me because I was sympathetic to religious education, sympathetic to vouchers, sympathetic to school choice, believing as I do that the most important part of education is the architecture of souls. And that's what they were unabashed about at Gonzaga. Sounds a lot like what Dr. Cangolini was saying in an earlier episode about it's not as important to get these kids into Harvard as it is to get them into heaven. I think it's very important that Gonzaga keep its integrity, its intellectual integrity, and not be you know swept along by you know the fashions or, or passions of the time. I was with George Bush, President Bush, when I was drug czar, and we took a trip to Pennsylvania. They wanted to go up to Amish country. And uh, we sat there, uh, the Attorney General of the United States, President of the United States, myself, we sat there and spoke to the elders. And President Bush said to the elder of the elders, what's the answer to all this dislocated youth and families falling apart and drug use? And the guy put his finger on the, on the Bible and just pounded his forefinger and said, it's all in here. It's all in here. It's all in here. What a great story. Before I let you go, what would you tell a young student who's on I Street now or maybe going to be part of the class of 2026? What would you encourage them to do to get the most out of their time on I Street? Take it all. Do it all. 
over sign up, take your courses, challenge yourself, do the extracurricular activities, play sports, talk to people, talk to the faculty, talk to your friends, work hard, develop those habits, those habits that will mean so much to you later on. Don't take it casually. Take it very, very seriously. Great advice from one of our great graduates. Thanks so much for sharing your memories of Father McHale and your time on I Street. Really appreciate visiting with you. Thanks, Brian. What do you There's, do in real life? In real life, I'm a radio host. Been doing that for a long time since I got out of college. Uh, executive producing at this stage of the game, but content creation is uh, its kind of my bag. You're good at it, Brian. I've been well, doing you. this a long time. I've done a thousand of these. Well, coming from you, sir, I will take that as a high compliment. Bill Bennett from the class of 61. One of Bill's contemporaries in the classroom at Gonzaga was Pat Conroy. Pat attended Gonzaga but did not graduate. Went on to have an incredible career as a writer. Some of his books, The Lords of Discipline, The Prince of Tides, The Great Santini, became incredible movies. But he also had a book called My Losing Season. And right after Christmas in 2002, the Washington Post printed an excerpt of that book called Indelible Memories of Gonzaga. Pat Conroy wrote, Ten days before graduation, Father Anthony McHale summoned me to his office. I'd come to know McHale only slightly, but he recognized me in the hallway, and sometimes he would stop me to quiz me about my progress in Latin or algebra. He had a great sense of justice and duty, but lacked that leavening one of humor. When I entered his office, he was studying my file. He looked up at me and said, You've made your mark here at Gonzaga, Mr. Conroy. I didn't think you'd survive first semester. You're well thought of by your fellow students. Your coaches and teachers speak well of you. Mr. Monty speaks highly of you. We've decided to award you a full scholarship for the next two years. We understand your parents are moving out of the area. We'll arrange for your room and board. That night, I heard my parents arguing. Later, I heard a tap on my door. Then my mother tiptoed into my room. She said, your father ripped up the scholarship, Pat. He said Gonzaga or no one else is going to steal his kid from him. He loves you too much to let you go. No, Mom, I said coldly in despair. He hates me too much to let me go. He hates it when good things happen to me. The words of the late Pat Conroy from his book, My Losing Season, that references Father Anthony McHale. We'll have a link to the entire passage in the show notes. That puts a wrap on episode 22 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. Remember, feedback is always welcome. You can shoot me an email, podcast at gonzaga.org. Be sure to rate and review. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, tap that five-star rating and maybe write a review if you don't mind. That helps us with the algorithms. Be sure to follow, subscribe, and share as well with anyone who you know loves Gonzaga. Until next time, ad maiorium dei gloriam and hail Gonzaga. Oh.